This message is brought to you by Alliance Bible Church located in Mequon, Wisconsin. Our vision is to captivate generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. For more information about Alliance Bible Church or other resources, please check out our website, myabc.church. If you have your Bibles, I encourage you to open them to Acts chapter 20. We're beginning a series today on our vision and values. Our vision is captivating generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. Captivating generations with the satisfying gospel of Jesus Christ. The very first sin in the Garden of Eden was the result of the greener grass conspiracy. In Eden, Satan got Adam and Eve to think If only they could eat from the one tree God told them not to eat from, they would achieve their full potential. And of course, the irony of the story is Adam and Eve got what their hearts wanted most, and they became a thousand times worse than they were before. Jesus believes we have an enemy, and this enemy plays the greener grass conspiracy card on us all the time. This is his chief play in his playbook, his go-to play in his playbook. He constantly dangles tantalizing bait in front of us to get us to think, if I have that, then I'll be happy. And just like in the garden, we get suckered into it. We pursue it, we attain it, we eat, and we find ourselves worse than we were before. Now, what makes Satan's tactics so deceiving is that he attempts to allure us with good things. They're not bad things, they're good things. Things like career, money, romance, family, human approval, even religion. He dangles it in front of us and he gets us to think that that's the key to finding rest in life. C.S. Lewis hit the nail on the head. He said, human history is the long, terrible story of human beings trying to find something other than God which will make them happy. We were not meant to be satisfied any other way. We were designed by God to be satisfied only through a relationship with him. And that's what the gospel is all about. It's all about restoring our relationship with God. And it's only through the gospel of Jesus Christ that we can experience communion with God and ultimately find in this life, rest and satisfaction. During the next, today and then the following two Sundays, we're going to take a look at our values. We know what our vision is, but we need to embrace values if we're going to get traction in our vision. Here are five values. The Bible, God's word, is an extension of God himself. The Bible, we do not believe, is just a book. It mediates the presence of God. When we read the word of God, we are engaging with God himself. Gospel centrality, the gospel is effective. It gets things done. It accomplishes things. Those two values I've preached on before, and really, they're embodied every week in how we do our preaching and our teaching ministry here. Today and the following two Sundays, I wanna focus on the last three values. Gospel community, The church is a taste of heaven. Prayerful dependence, prayer is ministry. And outward engagement. The church is commissioned to expand. 
Okay? Gospel community, prayerful dependence, outward engagement. Today, we're going to look at gospel community and how it is the church is supposed to be a taste of heaven. Let me show you a list. Take a look at the list. Garden of Eden, the tabernacle, the promised land, the temple, Jesus, the Christian, the church, the new heavens, and the new earth. What do they all have in common? They were, are, or will be the dwelling place of God. They all possess similarities that create continuity among them. They're all a part of the same family tree, if you will. The church is the dwelling place of God. Or to put it differently, the church is meant to be a harbinger of the new heavens and the new earth. Let me define that word harbinger. One of my staff said every time he hears the word harbinger, he thinks of a harpoon. That's not what the church is. The church is not a harpoon. Okay, it's not a weapon. A harbinger is a person or a thing that announces or signals the approach of another. It's a person or a thing that announces or signals the approach of another. The church is meant to be a harbinger of the new heavens and the new earth. It is meant to give people a taste of heaven. Now, when I use the word church, I don't think about a building. That's not what I'm thinking about. I'm not thinking about a building. I'm not even thinking about Alliance Bible Church. The word church is the global body of true believers in every age. That's the church. That's the church. Global body of true believers in every age. That is meant to be a harbinger of the new heavens and the new earth. An outpost in a desolate land. An oasis in a desert. The church is supposed to give people a taste of heaven. Now why is that and an important value for us to embrace as a church if we're going to get traction in our vision. Why is that value, the fact that the church is meant to give people a taste of heaven, why is that an important value for us to embody, for us to embrace, for us to live out if we're going to get traction in our vision? Francis Schaeffer put it this way. He said, if we do not show beauty in the way we treat each other, then in the eyes of the world and in the eyes of our own children, we are destroying the truth we proclaim. To a great degree, the validity of the gospel is tested in Christian relationships. A, to a great degree, the validity of the gospel is tested in human relationships. Schaefer is saying, you can preach the gospel all you want. If your church doesn't possess beauty in how the people treat each other, your preaching will, to be, will be to no avail. The early church knew this. They embraced it. Acts 2.42, it says, they devoted themselves to fellowship. They devoted themselves to fellowship. Now, right away, we have a problem because this word fellowship has been so trivialized and debased over the years that it's lost its potency. Let's all have cookies and punch in fellowship hall. You can't assign a fixed location for fellowship. And just because you label the room fellowship doesn't mean what's happening there is fellowship. So the word fellowship has been trivialized, it's been debased. We're going to look at a passage later in Acts that I think gives life to this idea of fellowship. Let me read it. Acts chapter 20, starting in verse 36. When Paul had finished speaking, he knelt down with all of them and prayed. They all wept as they embraced him and kissed him. 
What grieved them most was his statement that they would never see his face again. Then they accompanied him to the ship. After we had torn ourselves away from them, we put out to sea and sailed straight to Kos. The next day we went to Rhodes and from there to Patera. We found a ship crossing over to Phoenicia, went on aboard and set sail. After sighting Cyprus and passing to the south of it, we sailed on to Syria. We landed at Tyre where we put, where our ship was to unload its cargo. We sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city. And there on the beach, we knelt to pray. After saying goodbye to each other, we went aboard the ship and they returned home. We continued our voyage from Tyre and landed at Ptolemais, where we greeted the brothers and sisters and stayed with them for a day. Leaving the next day, we reached Caesarea and stayed at the house of Philip the Evangelist, one of the seven. In order for the church to give people a taste of heaven, we have to cultivate fellowship, or to use a different term, gospel community. Gospel community. The word I want to hone in on today, though, is this idea of spiritual friendship. Fellowship, community, spiritual friendship. The gospel of Jesus Christ creates spiritual friendship. That is, it, the gospel sends you deeper into the heart of other brothers and sisters in Christ than you ever thought possible. And that is put on display for us in what looks like just a travel log from this text in Acts 20 and 21. Here's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the need for spiritual friendship how spiritual friendship is created and signs of spiritual friendship. The need for it, how it's created and signs of it. First, the need for spiritual friendship. Now something, something is happening in the life of Paul. From about chapter 19 to the end of the book, the pace of action picks up dramatically and he experiences one trial after another. It's unrelenting. But all the while, he's surrounded in friendships. This is what's so interesting about the story. If you read quickly through it from 19 to the end, you notice this. Action is fast, one trial after another, but he's surrounded in friendships. To a great degree, Paul's story is demonstrating what devotion to fellowship, what devotion to spiritual friendship actually is. And it's showing us our need, our need for it. The, to need or want spiritual friendship is not a sign of weakness, but it's a sign of strength. Think about it back in the garden. After God made a perfect paradise for Adam, he noted that there was only one aspect to this creation that wasn't good. Adam was alone. Remember, this is before their sin. So Adam wasn't lonely because he was imperfect. He was lonely because he was perfect. Every other ache we experience comes from sin. But Adam's loneliness ache was part of his perfection. And it's showing us something remarkable about how God designed us. We can't enjoy paradise without friends. Adam had a perfect devotional life. There was no sin. He had a perfect prayer life. He had perfect intimacy with God. But he could not maximize his enjoyment of paradise without friends. 
See, if you're lonely, you're not dysfunctional. You're lonely because you've been built this way. Now listen, we gotta do some self-analysis here. One of the reasons you're lonely is because you don't have many friends. One of the reasons you don't have many friends is because of sin in your dealings with prospective friends. You make mistakes that drive them away and drive you into isolation. And one of the most common, frequent mistakes we make in our attempt to make friendships is that we are quick to speak and we are slow to listen. We are fantastic at making statements and telling stories, but we are lousy at asking questions. That's one of the reasons you're driving people away. But listen, the passion you have for friendship, the need you have for friendship, that's not wrong at all. I mean, let's think about this for a minute. There was someone else who had friends. He had 12 of them. They never understood him. They continually let him down. They were always hurting his feelings. But that didn't stop him from pursuing spiritual friendship with them. Jesus lived intentionally in community. I was reading through Luke's gospel. It's interesting. Come to chapter 12. Jesus says this, I have come to bring fire on the earth and how I wish it were already kindled, but I have a baptism to undergo and what constraint I am under until it is complete. What's interesting about this is thus far in the story, his disciples have let him down and disappointed him already. They've got a great track record of that. And yet... Jesus is sharing his thoughts out loud. He's sharing his anguish out loud with friends who have continually let him down, with friends who have misunderstood him. And Jesus lived a perfect life. And part of the perfect life that he lived is spiritual friendship. And part of his perfection is sharing his thoughts and his anguish out loud with people who have let him down. We were made for this. We were made for spiritual friendship. We were made for community. We were made to experience a taste of heaven in the community known as the church because even in the perfection of the garden, Adam could not experience paradise the way it was meant to be experienced without friends. So we can't experience a taste of heaven in isolation and we can't give others a taste of heaven in isolation. See, spiritual friendship is like air. It's just like air. You don't know how much you need it until it's gone. Nobody walks around thinking and saying to themselves, how I love air. It's so incredible. Air is awesome. Nobody does that. Nobody says that until they're underwater. Then they start saying that. When it's gone, that's when you start praising it. So it is a spiritual friendship. We have a need for it, and sometimes we don't know just how much we need it. Second, how spiritual friendship is created. Chapter 21, verse 4 and 5, we sought out the disciples there and stayed with them seven days. Through the Spirit, they urged Paul not to go on to Jerusalem. When it was time to leave, we left and continued on our way. All of them, including wives and children, accompanied us out of the city, and there on the beach, we knelt to pray. Paul and his companions are in Tyre, T-Y-R-E. 
This is a church that Paul did not start. He didn't plant the church. In fact, we don't have any record that he's ever been there before. So these Christians are people he's never met before. Now let's think about all that takes place while he's there with Christians he's not met before. When he arrives in Tyre, he purposely sets out to find them. Strangers he's never met before. You see what happens in the story? Through the Spirit, they urge him not to go to Jerusalem. So they felt a freedom, even though they're strangers to him, they felt a freedom to speak into his life. And notice the words that they speak. They're not tender words of encouragement. They're actually confronting Paul. And simultaneously, Paul lets them. Paul at no point says to them, you know, they're saying, don't go into Jerusalem. Don't go into Jerusalem. You're going to be arrested. You're going to be killed. Don't do it. And Paul doesn't say, you don't know me. He doesn't say, mind your own business. He lets them. He lets them. And then before departing, they knelt on the beach to pray. In the 21st century American church, we have a tendency to try to build community around affinities. We build groups around similar life experience. So we'll have singles groups and newly married Bible studies young professional networks, empty nester small groups. Or groups will be built around various causes. So there will be teams who are passionate about feeding the hungry, all gathering together. Groups that are driven to combat sex trafficking, all bonded together. There's nothing inherently wrong with wanting to be around people who share these things in common with us. But if that's the sum total of our community, I'm afraid we've built something that would exist even if God didn't. What's taking place in Tyre with Paul and the Christians is subtle, but it's powerful. People you share no affinity with, got it? You share no affinity with them. If you share Jesus with them, there is an automatic bond that exerts itself. If you've ever been on a cross-cultural missions trip, you've probably experienced this. I was leading a group of men to the Kono Norte Kayao Alliance Church in Lima, Peru several years ago. We got off the plane, it's midnight, and there is a army of believers, brothers and sisters in Christ, there waiting for us, welcoming us, not allowing us to carry our own suitcases. All of them. I don't share a common nationality with them. I don't share a common economic standing with them. I don't share a common generational bond with them. I don't share a common language with them. But we share Jesus. And the moment we got off the plane, we realized that there was a bond we had, though we had never met before. See, the essence of friendship is not, do you love me? That's not the essence of friendship. The essence of friendship is, do you love the same truth? What makes friendship happen is not that you're looking at each other and saying, how's our relationship? But you're looking, you're looking at the same, at the very thing that has captured your heart. For friendship to happen, there has to be some common passion, some common adoration. Now in this text, there's actually a visual picture of friendship. They kneel on the beach and they pray. If two people are kneeling before the same God, if two people are worshiping the same God, that pulls you together in astounding ways. When two people love Jesus, 
When two people kneel before Jesus Christ, they start to become friends no matter who they used to be. Now let me push into this a little bit. We all wear uniforms. You know what I'm talking about. We all wear uniforms. Some of us wear white collar uniforms. Some of us wear blue collar uniforms. Some of us wear boomer uniforms. Some of us wear Gen X uniforms. Some of us wear millennial uniforms. Some of us wear the uniform of the particular club or society or group with an affinity for something. We all have different uniforms on. When Christ explodes into your life, you don't stop being a boomer. You don't stop being an exer. You don't stop being a millennial. You don't stop being part of that affinity group or that club. But you know what happens? When Christ explodes into your life, you stop kneeling before it. The way you know the gospel has grabbed a hold of you is that you kneel before Christ with people who have different uniforms on. You're a Christian first and everything else second. It doesn't matter who your ancestors were. It doesn't matter your race, your experience. It doesn't matter whether you've been through Vietnam, World War II, the Depression, or the divorce culture. It doesn't matter your age. You're a Christian first and everything else second. So you know you've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ when you start to spend time with people who before Jesus, you never would have wanted to spend a single moment with them. You know you've experienced the grace of Jesus Christ when you start spending time with people with whom you share nothing in common but Jesus. That's the test of true gospel community. We will know gospel community is happening when the groups we find ourselves a part of are diverse. Diverse generationally. Diverse economically, diverse racially, diverse vocationally, diverse in affinity interests. You're a Christian first and everything else second. Friendships come from what you're in love with. Friendships come from what you're in love with. They happen when the people who are most in love with the same thing you're in love with. There's a picture of this in the book of Revelation. Gospel community that has been perfected. Church in heaven. We read this. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes and were holding palm branches in their hands, and they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God, who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. There it is. A diverse group of people bonded together because they're all kneeling before the same thing. Spiritual friendship is created, gospel community is created when we kneel before the same thing despite our uniforms. Third and finally, signs of spiritual friendship. Again, Acts 2.42, this 
church devoted themselves to fellowship. The word fellowship is the word koinonia in the original language. Literally, it means to share. It means to share. So if you want fellowship, if you want gospel community, if you want spiritual friendship, you have to share. And in Acts 20 and 21, we're given six things that they shared. I'm going to rip through these quickly. They shared their feelings. They shared their things. They shared the faith. They shared decisions. They shared time and they shared commitment. Let me work through it. First, they shared their feelings. At the end of chapter 20, Paul and his travel companions are tearing themselves away from the church in Ephesus and it says that they wept, they kissed, they embraced. They wept, they kissed, they embraced. They're sharing their feelings. They're being open. They're being honest about how they feel about that moment. It was a painful moment, a very painful moment. They didn't stuff it. They didn't pretend they were doing better than they were. One didn't expect the other to keep quiet about the pain. They opened up. They were safe with each other. They shared their feelings. Second, they shared their things. Paul was staying with people in the travel log. He's staying with people. There's hospitality. People open up their homes. People are feeding him. They share their things. Third, they share their faith. They're constantly talking about the Lord. They're constantly talking about the gospel. They're constantly praying. But we have an exhortation to do this with each other in Hebrews 3. See to it, brothers and sisters, that none of you has a sinful, unbelieving heart that turns away from the living God, but encourage one another daily as long as is called today so that none of you may be hardened by sin's deceitfulness. So the author is writing to this church and he's saying, make sure that you encourage one another in your relationships with each other. Encourage one another daily. That word for encourage is a cognate for the word preach. You gotta have people in your life that you're so close to that you can preach the gospel to each other. It's not spiritual friendship unless you've got people in your life who are preaching the gospel to you. Spiritual friendship means you've authorized people in your life to press into you sometimes. So they're committed to fellowship, they're committed to gospel community, they're committed to spiritual friendship, they share their feelings, they share their things, they share their faith. Fourth, they share their decisions. There's no unilateral decision making. You'll notice this with Paul and Tyre. Spiritual friendship means you let people speak into your life and you stop being self-accredited. So you're not a friend. On the one hand, you're not a friend if you go to someone and say, the Lord said to me, therefore, obey what I'm telling you. That's not a friend. On the other hand, you're also not a friend if you refuse to let people come into your life and press you or challenge you. They share decisions. Fifth, they shared their time. They shared their time. Think about all the different kinds of relationships, categories of relationships you have in your life. Every other relationship will push itself on you. Romantic love. That's gonna push itself on you by your hormones. Family love. Family love will push itself on you by your family citizenship love will push itself on you. I didn't want to do jury duty. 
I didn't want to do jury duty, but when it was over, it was good to be able to reflect on this and, and uh, look over to my right and to my left and see my fellow citizens trying to make this a more just place. But it was forced on me. Friendship love doesn't force itself on you. Therefore, it won't happen unless you make it happen. Paul, his companions, these early Christians devoted themselves to fellowship to the point where they made time for it. Last, they shared in the commitment. This is really subtle in the story. You got to read it a bunch of times to see it, I think. In the story, everybody's been warning Paul that if he goes back to Jerusalem, he'll likely be arrested and perhaps killed. Everybody's been telling him the same thing. But he believes the Spirit is prompting him to go anyway. And so you come across the text and it says, we sailed on. We sailed on. It's not just Paul. It's not just Paul. It's for sure Luke who wrote Acts. Maybe some others. Think about it. They're all hearing the same warnings. If you go to Jerusalem, you could be arrested and even killed. Okay, another one comes. If you go to Jerusalem, you could be arrested or killed. We sailed on. Luke sticks with Paul even in the face of an ominous future. Aylred of Raveau wrote a book on this topic in the 12th century. A very helpful book. And he writes in there about spiritual friendship. He writes about worldly friendship. He says worldly friendship, with worldly friendship, you're not really loving people for their sake. You're actually using them. In worldly friendship, you're not really loving people for their sake. You're actually using them. So whenever you find yourself loving someone because you like the way it makes you feel, maybe they're a real slick person, or loving this person because they're giving you a lot of approval, or loving that person because they're listening to you and eating out of your hand, then when that person becomes stupid in your eyes, or they stop approving you or listening to you or eating out of your hand, or they become more of a drain, you say, I've had it with you. You never loved them to begin with. Never loved them to begin with. You loved the love you were getting. You loved the love you were getting. A friend shares in the commitment. A friend shares life. A friend says, I'll be there through thick or thin. I'll be there when it's convenient. I'll be there when it's inconvenient. I'll be there when it's joy-filled. I'll be there when it's trial-saturated. I'll be there even when this relationship costs me something. They share the commitment. In spiritual friendship, signs of spiritual friendship, you see people sharing their feelings. You see them sharing their things. You see them sharing in the faith. You see them sharing decisions. You see them sharing time. And you see them sharing in the commitment. A gospel community, a gospel community where people are offered a taste of heaven is one where there are spiritual friendships. It's one where there are spiritual friendships. Let's pray.
God, we ask for renewal in our relationships. Some of us are isolated. Give us the humility to acknowledge that as a problem and the courage to step out in pursuit of it. I pray for the global church. As we kneel before Jesus, would you bind us together in a unity that astounds the world? I pray the generational, the socioeconomic, the vocational, racial diversity of the body of Christ around the world would create intrigue through the beauty of human relationships, God. Bring people to us who are curious about this community known as the church. I pray, God, that there be something so unique, so different, that people want to know why. And through that, God, I pray that you would give us opportunities to give them a glimpse of Jesus. Pray these things for your glory alone. Amen.